I'm Marco Werman, and this is The World, a co-production of the BBC World Service, PRI, and WGBH Boston. In Japan today, a group of activists filed a lawsuit. They want to block the reopening of two nuclear power plants near the country's west coast. Nearly all of Japan's 54 nuclear plants have been shut down for safety inspections following last year's disaster at the Fukushima Daiichi plant. The two facilities in Fukui Prefecture reportedly were on target to be the first to be restarted, but the activists say there are active fault lines nearby and that the plants may still not be strong enough to survive an earthquake. Fear of a new nuclear incident is widespread in Japan. It's just one part of the lasting impact of the massive twin disasters that struck Japan last March 11th. Reporter Sam Eaton has been in Japan for us, looking closely at the recovery from the tsunami and Fukushima meltdowns. Earlier, he told me how things are looking in the disaster zone a year later. Well, Marco, in the tsunami region, there has been some progress. You look around and and many of the roads have been rebuilt. Uh, the rail lines are running again. Uh, the debris, all of those houses and crushed cars and, and boats has been scraped away. Uh, but now you have these these mountains of waste on the outskirts of town with nowhere to go. And, and this is a huge problem. Uh, Japanese recycling laws actually make it so that all of that trash and waste has to be sorted and recycled. This gives you a sense of the Japanese bureaucracy, many believe, is hindering the pace of the recovery. You know, so much of the reporting from the past year has been on the Fukushima nuclear power plant disaster and less on the disaster from the tsunami. When you're on the ground, does that square up for you? Well, I mean, these two disasters have very, very different circumstances. On the one hand, you have this huge loss of life and destruction of the tsunami. On the other hand, you have a nuclear disaster that's yet to claim one life, but has taken an incredible psychological toll on the people that are living with the prospect of contamination for years ahead. And so I think the common thread here is the deep and lasting psychological toll that it's taking on the people that are living within these regions. And that, that fear is very palpable in these towns. I talked to an old couple living in a, a shelter they'd built on the foundation of their old home. And the woman pulled me aside and she told me that every night her husband still screams in his sleep, um, even though he says, he says he's not afraid of the tsunami anymore. Mm. And in a country where people don't really show their emotions, they're not known for showing their emotions in Japan, a, a group of, I had a group of dairy farmers I talked to for the story last Friday. They all were crying when they were talking about going back to their farms for the first time and, and seeing the cows that had all died of starvation. And then you have the fears of radiation. Uh, most of the affected area from the Fukushima fallout um, is an area the size of about New Jersey. So scientists say, say there's only a slightly elevated risk of cancer for most of that region. But you talk about you know, being exposed to that over the long term and the science is, is a little more uncertain and living there and that uncertainty uh, is, is, is just taking a huge psychological toll on the people. It, it is really hard to get a sense of where the fear actually squares with the actual threat of radiation. Were you able to get a sense of that? Well, it is confusing. And this is where I think the distrust of the government really confuses the matter even more. People don't trust what the government is telling them. Um, you know, a lot of people are taking independent radiation readings, and some of those are much higher than what the government is reporting. And this is, you know, the government reports are the ones informing the scientific findings that talk about the health risks. So does this mean that people, especially in the northeast of Japan, where, where these disasters have struck, are they less trusting of their government than a year ago? Was this kind of a Katrina moment? I think it I think it was and I think it will be lasting. I mean, you look at these people, the aid has been slow to come. But at the same time, 
I think the Fukushima disaster really laid bare these cozy ties between the Tokyo government and big business. And people looking forward feel that, that that's going to continue with the recovery. Sam, let's unpack uh, that word recovery uh, just for a moment. When we look at the scale and scope of these events and the toll it's taken on so many people, is Japan on a course to recover eventually from these twin disasters and return to normal? Or were these events that sear themselves onto a nation's psyche and have fundamentally changed things forever? You know, I think it's it's hard to tell. One year is 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 kind of this artificial marker in this process of recovery that's going to continue for for decades, and this really extends beyond just the tsunami and and nuclear disaster region. Culturally, I mean, you really have this kind of disillusion with the idea of nuclear power in a nation that has no fossil fuels for its energy source. I think that's a huge thing going forward as well. People continually are talking about getting back to the basics uh, in this country that went through this rapid industrialization. It's, it's almost like this reality check that, that these technologies really aren't invincible anymore. Reporter Sam Eaton, who's been reporting for the world from Japan on the anniversary of last year's tsunami and nuclear disaster, Sam, thanks very much indeed. Thanks so much, Marco. You can hear the first two of Sam's reports on the recovery from the tsunami and the cleanup efforts around the Fukushima plant at theworld.org.